God, thank you for this chance to get back together and to um, kind of get back to normal and to be able to dig into your word together. We pray during this time that we just uh, see the importance of knowing these things, these foundational um, lessons, these series here on, on what we believe and to know what we believe and why we believe it and why we should believe it. And I pray that we uh, learn something we have never uh, known before and that we just walk away uh, something new and just a, a a deeper love, and a, and a closer walk with you. It's your name I pray. Amen. All right, so in 2001, which you guys were not alive yet, which really it hurts me to say that, uh, you weren't alive. There's a movie called The Body, uh, featuring Antonio Banderas. You guys probably know him more as Puss in Boots. Antonio Banderas is the voice of that. Uh, this is a movie. He plays a former Green Beret who became a priest. And in the film, uh, a tomb is discovered in first century Palestine with a body that was crucified with nails, but the legs were not broken, uh, as the Bible describes that happened to Jesus in John 19. He also found a coin from the era of Pilate. Uh, the Catholic Church desperately tries to cover up the discovery because they realize that the body is Jesus and their entire religion is false. That's the whole premise of this movie. So here's an interesting question to ask. Could you make a movie like this of any other religious founder? The answer is no. Now Christianity is uniquely based upon the historical resurrection of its founder, right? Which we can investigate. But this event didn't happen, Christianity crumbles. Unlike myths and philosophies, Christianity is, is a historically based religion. If you guys want to grab your Bibles, I'm going to give you guys a second. Remember, I put them over there. You guys can grab one. We have pens and highlighters. It's good for you guys to learn about Jesus. Leah, where's your Bible? Oh, my gosh. She's grounded. Thanks for putting your phone up. I appreciate that. So they have Bibles. And so, you know, we always give them a Bible for... Uh, Senior Sunday, and so we Christy had the idea of getting them a Bible and they can use it the entire time during youth ministry, take their notes and stuff, and then when they graduate, that's the Bible they get with all the things that they've learned. That's sweet. So, that was a cool idea. So, we are in First Corinthians. Um, I don't know. Maybe did you? Was your name on there somewhere? Jackson, there we go. Jackson! Jackson! 1 Corinthians 15. You guys want a Sharpie? Pretty good. Okay, alright. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 13. We're going to be there. We've got one verse, and then we're going to come back to this passage. So just, just go ahead and keep it on this passage. 1 Corinthians 15. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead 
are not raised, and even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who, who have, then also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Our faith is useless. That's what this is telling us. If Christ was not resurrected, if Christ was not risen from the dead, our faith is useless. We're still in our sins. And that Christians are false witnesses who are to be pitied. That's what this verse is telling us. And Paul goes on to say that if Jesus didn't rise in verses 30 and 32, why face persecution and suffering? Why die for this? Instead, eat, drink, have fun, because this life is all we have. You know, this is the biblical version of YOLO, I guess, if you will. Since this is the only life you have, just live it. doesn't matter if Christ, you know, risen from the dead. That's what he's saying. Now, we should be living selfishly for pleasure if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, because... This life is ultimately, ultimately meaningless. But, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then we have hope for this life and for the next. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Any pain or suffering that we face in this life will be washed away by an eternity of joy with Jesus, the one who sealed our salvation. Because here's the thing, the, the resurrection, this is the core of Christianity, right? This is kind of a big deal. This didn't happen, and why, why are you and I here? But how do we know that it really happened other than just having blind faith? So we're going to kind of look at some evidence and some things tonight, hopefully kind of, Help you out here. And now the Bible, of course, is not just a religious text for, for you and I. It's also history. It contains facts about real people and events that are supported in the historical record, not just found in the Bible, but also found outside of the Bible. So we're going to examine some biblical facts that a majority of experts accept as historical. And based on this, we can make a simple yet powerful case that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. So still there, hopefully still there in 1 Corinthians 15. Go to verse 3. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. And then He appeared to more and 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This passage is, is what is known as the Resurrection Creed. It was written by Paul in the mid-AD 50s, so maybe roughly 20, 25 years after the death of Jesus. So it's not terribly long. Note how it begins. It says there at the beginning, For I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received. So this means that Paul is passing on a teaching that he had learned from others. Uh, probably when he visited the apostles shortly after his conversion, we see that story in, in Galatians 1 and 2. So this leads most scholars to date this, this creed 
to within just a few years after Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, some scholars have this creed even just a few months after the crucifixion. Let's begin to immediately dismiss objections that Jesus' resurrection was just a legend that developed over the last 2,000 years. Because this was quickly happened. This, this creed was put in place shortly after Jesus died. If something happened that caused people to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. There are, core, there are four key facts uh, from the resurrection creed that we're going to use to kind of build our case, I guess, if you will. So fact number one is the fact that Jesus did in fact truly die, right? He died. Jesus' death by crucifixion is recorded in all four Gospels, and most historians, both modern and ancient, hold this fact as being undeniable. He really did in fact die. Uh, there's some quotes from leading non-Christian New Testament scholars. So these are people who study the, the New Testament, but not they're not believers, okay? That's what they said. I'm not going to try to pronounce this guy's name. He says, Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. Uh, Bart Ehrman said, The crucifixion of Jesus by the Romans is one of the most secure facts we have about his life. And then you have this one. That he is crucified is as sure as anything historical, historical can ever be. Since both Josephus and Tacitus agree with the Christian accounts on this basic fact. Well, who's Josephus? Who's Tacitus? Cornelius uh, Tacitus is a Roman historian. And, uh, and, and you can see it in his writings that he wrote about the crucifixion of Jesus. And he had a guy named Flavius Josephus. He was a Jewish politician, soldier, and historian. And you can read in the Antiquities of the Jews the account of Jesus being crucified. So this is things that are outside of the Bible that point to the death of Jesus. But there are some objections to Jesus dying. Like, well, he didn't really die. You have what's called the swoon theory. I think it's just a weird word, swoon theory. Some critics dismiss the resurrection by claiming that Jesus never actually died on the cross. Instead, he merely passed out or swooned. And then he revealed himself as alive to his followers three days later. Is this possible? If you read the accounts, Jesus endured torture in, in one of the most brutal, brutal forms of execution in, in history. He was then buried and he would have to had to recover in three short days, roll away the stone out of the way, and then convince his followers that he was resurrected in a glorified, heavenly, better than new body. There's no way that that logically could have happened. Or we have what people call the crucifixion. A little pun dad joke that they did there. Could the early Christians have invented the crucifixion for dramatic effect? The problem with this claim is that crucifixion was a, was a shameful way to die. If your Savior was crucified, then it meant he was a failed Messiah. Early Christians were observant Jews, right? They, most people that followed Jesus quickly were Jewish people. And so they would have associated crucifixion with being cursed by God. That comes all the way back from Deuteronomy 21. So why would the disciples fabricate such a horrific, accursed death for their Savior? It would have been counterproductive unless, of course, it's true. It really happened. So the conclusion, not only do we have the biblical account of the crucifixion, which is addressed by different writers in different books, but we also have two references, two solid references to it outside of the Bible. 
any objections to Jesus dying by crucifixion, they fail. It's an indisputable historical fact. Fact number two, he was buried. Jesus buried in the tomb with Joseph of Arimathea was also recorded in all four Gospels. His tomb would have been carved out of solid rock and sealed with just a huge stone. Uh, one that was difficult to roll or put into place. Um, some you've seen pictures, right, of like the big stone, the rope, the big round stone that they can roll into the thing. Some scholars say that's what it was. Some say it's a bigger stone that you kind of put in the entrance, like a cork, and it just kind of fits in place and would be even more difficult to move. Either way, it's not going to be easy to move. So to prevent any tampering, we see in the, in the record that there were guards placed outside and they sealed it with like a wax seal with, you know, with the pilots, with the Romans' insignia there. You know, according to the Gospels, Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin. Anybody know who the Sanhedrin were? They weren't the best people. They didn't really love Jesus a whole lot. So why would the disciples have invented a heroic burial of someone from the very group that condemned Jesus to die? And the tomb was secure. Anyone trying to get in or out was going to have a very difficult time doing that. And being in the tomb of a prominent man, a man of the Sanhedrin, someone the people knew, it's not like this town was like huge and size of Midland. It was a small town. Everybody probably knew everybody. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, so people knew who this guy was. Knowing that he was buried in Joseph of Amethia's tomb, it was like well known where that tomb probably was. Fact number three, he was raised. On the third day, a group of women found Jesus' tomb empty. One of them being Joanna. That's where we get our girl daughter's Joanna, Jojo. That's where we get her name from. The three key points that help establish the uh, historicity of the empty tomb. Number one is female witnesses. Let's go down. So in Jesus' day, the testimony of women was considered less reliable than a man's. I'm sorry, ladies, that's what it was. I didn't make the rules. It was considered less reliable. Maddox, I'm just kidding. You still wish it was the same way, don't you? Don't lie to me. If Jesus' resurrection was fabricated, why would all the gospel writers include women as the ones who discovered the empty tomb? Right? I mean, if you're trying to start this religion and you're like, man, there's, you know, there's, you know, we got this guy, we're going to say he died. We're going to say he rose from the dead, but who, who, who should we get to say found him? Man, we, should, we should get like a group of guys. No, we should get girls, women that nobody's going to believe. They wouldn't, it wouldn't work. But if you look at the story, the, the male disciples all fled like a bunch of cowards, right? And the women heroically went back to find Jesus' disciples to tell them, hey, the tomb is empty. And only then did the men go and check. Best reason is to record the story this way is that's how it happened. Here's here's a modern day, although imperfect analogy. Maybe it'll help you guys understand what what I mean by this. Consider social media. How many of you guys have social media? It's the worst. Do you normally post updates to make yourself look bad? Like you post like the ugly selfies. I mean, if you're Jackson, maybe. But I mean, other than that, you don't. All right, we. We want people to see us looking our best or to see us looking good or to post like the, the highlights of our life. We don't post the lowlights. Maybe, you know, occasionally, but that's not what we want people to see us, you know, in a good light. 
Yet in a sense, this is exactly how all the all four gospels kind of portrayed the disciples, right? They flee the scene in confusion, and the women are portrayed as the faithful ones. Are we supposed to believe the gospel writers invented this portrayal of the apostles? They're like, you know what? So we're going to have women discover Jesus. That'd make a great story that people are going to believe. And you know what? All of us, we should be cowards in our story. We should make, we make sure that we run from everybody. They would not have written anything that made them look like that. It's much harder to believe than the invention of a disparaging social media update. Number two is the enemy response. Matthew 28, 12-13, the Jewish leaders accused the disciples of stealing Jesus' body. Why is this important? One of the first objections to the resurrection actually assumes the body was gone and the tomb was empty, right? And then you have the Jerusalem factor. <coughs> Maybe the women and disciples were mistaken. They discovered the wrong tomb was empty. But again, since Jesus was buried in a known location, anybody could have easily found the correct tomb, showing that it was still sealed and squashed the resurrection story. If it's, it would have been easy for people to go do that and to, to prove, hey, Jesus is still right there. In Acts 2.22, Peter reminds the people of Jerusalem, Jesus of, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. They knew who Jesus was. They knew what he looked like. They knew what he did. His life was very public. So the people of Jerusalem knew who he was and what he did, right? So the disciples marched back to the very city where these events happened and proclaimed their truth with confidence. If you're going to make up the story, you're not going to go to the place where all these things happen and say, he's resurrected. And, and him still, you know, they can check and see right there that the tomb is still sealed and he is not, right? They had confidence because it was, in fact, true. <clears throat> in fact, number four, he appeared. The fourth key fact of the resurrection creed is that Jesus appeared to many people after his death and burial. Consider the different appearance accounts. We have Mary and the other women at the tomb. We have Peter, the coward, who denied that he knew Jesus prior to his trial. Of course, we have the disciples minus Judas. We have 500 believers who could be questioned. It's not like these 500 people could hide just super well in Jerusalem. They, people knew who they were. People talked. So the Bible says that he appeared to 500 people. They could be talked to and asked. You have James, brother of Christ, who was initially skeptical of Jesus along with the rest of his family. Of course, you have Paul, the persecutor of Christians, stepping up and being like, hey, yeah, I saw him too. Regarding his appearances, agnostic New Testament scholar, the guy who doesn't believe that Jesus is God, this is what he said. <clears throat> it is indisputable that some of the followers of Jesus came to think that he'd been raised from the dead and something had to have happened to make them think so. Our earliest records are consistent on this point, and I think they provide us with historically reliable information in one key respect. The disciples' belief in the resurrection was based on visionary experiences. They saw these things with their own eyes. I'm reading a book right now that's, I got to read it and like put it down because it hurts my head because the guy's a thousand times smarter than I am. But it's, um, it's a Jewish perspective of the resurrection of Jesus. This is an Orthodox Jew who does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but in his book he claims through, through different other evidences that he did in fact raise from the dead. This is somebody who doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, <clears throat> but still believe that he was risen 
from the dead. <clears throat> so we gather these four facts, right? Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised, he, he appeared. So we need to assess the facts and make the best conclusion. So when we examine the facts, it's hard to deny the resurrection. But of course, people do. So we're going to look at real quickly uh, three of the most popular uh, objections to Jesus' resurrection. Number one, mass hallucination theory. They're saying that everybody hallucinated because of their immense grief of Jesus dying. There are two problems with that. Hallucinations are private. They're individual, like dreams. They're not collective experience. that Everybody's going to have the exact same hallucination at the exact same time. That's not how that works. The hallucinations are visual, not physical, right? When Jesus appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem, they thought they were seeing a ghost. So he invited them to touch him, which they touched him and felt him, and they ate in front of him. There's physical. <clears throat> Number two is a conspiracy theory. The disciples lied that they saw the risen Lord. They fabricated the story of the resurrection and created a new religion around this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. But, but why? Why was it just for power, for fame, or money? All the disciples were willing to suffer and die for their belief in the resurrection. But many people might be willing to die for their beliefs. They're con they're convinced those beliefs are true. But if this theory were, were, you know, were true that they were just lying, the disciples would have sacrificed themselves for something they, that they knew was false, which doesn't make any logical sense why somebody would do that. <clears throat> and the third one, the popular theory amongst internet skeptics is that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are just a, a ripoff of other dying and rising pagan gods, such as Horus, Mithras, Atis, and Dionysus. Dionysus. For example, the popular online movie Zeitgeist claims the Egyptian god Horus was born of a virgin on December 25th, that he had 12 disciples, disciples he performed great miracles, he was crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day, as well as other facts that shockingly matched the life of Jesus. Uh, these other facts were kind of recycled to create Jesus of Nazareth, the central figure of Christianity. That's what this is. There's some problems to this. Unlike Horus or Mithras, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is a true figure of history. The supposed parallels involve massive exaggeration and manipulation of the facts. For example, Horus is not crucified like Jesus. He was struck by he was stung by a scorpion and he died. Osiris is said to have resurrected, but he did not return to this life, but instead lived on in the underworld. Uh, regarding virgin birth, Sionis' mother was impregnated by Zeus and Addis and, uh, and sprung forth from a rock. They're not these aren't similar stories to who Jesus was. So here's the bottom line. Alternate explanations of the four facts of the resurrection creed have serious problems, right? So let's consider the words of the most famous detective of all time, Sherlock Holmes, right? He said, we have eliminated the impossible. Whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. So the best explanation of the four circle facts we have examined is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead vindicating his claims to, to be the Son of God. What does that mean for you and I now? Through the resurrection, God has affirmed the teachings of Jesus. God is both powerful and trustworthy. And the words of Jesus have authority, and we should build our lives on them, right? This means that we can truly be forgiven for our sins, regardless of what you and I have done. And since Jesus died for our sins, we can give him our guilt and be made clean. We can face death with the confidence that we will rise again just like Jesus. We grieve the loss of our loved ones with hope that we will see them again.
And ultimately, we have the same spirit inside of us who raised Jesus from the dead. All of those things, we looked, the same verses we looked at tonight. Romans 8, 11, we're going to close with this, says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Jesus' resurrection gives us hope for our own life after death. It means so much more than that. The Holy Spirit empowers you, and eternal life began the moment you gave your life to Christ. So we're going to walk in that truth daily. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this chance to come and just teach on the resurrection and the importance of the, and the facts uh, of this thing that we need desperately to believe um, as, as a core foundational truth of our faith. I mean, we leave here with a, a renewed assurance that this is, in fact, truth, in fact, uh, not a legend or story, but you really did die and you rose again for our sins. And may we just believe that and, and live differently knowing these truths. Shame I pray.